Hi, I'm Mary C. Curtis, and this is Equal Time. President Biden has stated that equity is at the core of all his policies, and the economy is no exception. He tapped Cecilia Rouse to chair the Council of Economic Advisors, a White House think tank of sorts on economic issues. She is the first Black woman to take on this role and carry out Biden's mandate. She has an impressive CV, dean of the Princeton School of Public and International Affairs, and a member of President Obama's Council of Economic Advisors. That said, the challenge before her is staggering. She needs to design economic policies that take race into account at a moment when the Black community has been hit harder than most by the pandemic. In this most unequal economy, we wonder if it's even possible. How can she ensure that communities of color will not be forgotten as the country begins to open up and bounce back? And with that, welcome to Equal Time, Cecilia Rouse. President Biden said Monday, let's be clear, our economic plan is working. And he also said that no one has ever said it would be, quote, simple, easy, or immediate. And remember that 22 million Americans lost their jobs in this pandemic. So the country gained 266,000 jobs last month instead of the anticipated 1 million. And critics are saying that people are opting not to work because unemployment benefits are too generous. So what's your response to both the numbers that were said to be disappointing and that criticism that enhanced unemployment benefits may be keeping more workers out of the labor force because they can make more money not working? Right. Uh, well, thank you uh, for, for the question. Uh, I think, first of all, I think it's really important to keep in mind that one should not put too much stake in any one month's employment number. Uh, these are estimates. Um, there, there are certain methodologies. And what's important is to look at averages over time and to look at trends. But to literally take you know, the level in any one month um, you know, is, is not advised. And as an example, as eye-popping as the number was in March, the BLS has subsequently revised that down by, again, 60 or 70,000 jobs. So there may be a revision, for example, to our estimate of the number of jobs that were created in April. So that's the first point. The second is, is goes to what the president said. No one said that this would be easy or steady. Um, and the reason for that is because uh, not only was this you know, historically bad recession, with 22 million jobs lost in the course of the last year. But it was a recession not caused by a problem in the economy. It was a recession caused by a pandemic. And that meant that the economy is at the mercy of the virus. And just as viruses are wily, we knew that, the, that uh, you know, coming back was going to happen in somewhat of fits and starts. Um, and, and I say this for a couple reasons. One is that uh, we powered down this economy really profoundly in order to keep people safe. And, you know, as you power down an economy, it's one thing to power down an economy. It's another to get it started again. So in getting it started again, like workers have been out of work for some period of time. They no longer necessarily have the relationships with their prior employer. Many small businesses closed. Uh, We have a very entrepreneurial uh, workforce and, you know, people. Um, So people who lost a business will open new ones or maybe they close their business, it takes some time to get the business up and running again. Well, I'd really like to now, though, hone in on what's happening in the Black community, because even though we see some of these numbers 
getting better gradually. Uh, during the pandemic, there were workers who lost their jobs and faced economic insecurity, and then those who were considered essential and faced health insecurity and could work safely from home. But many Black employees were not uh, able to safely work from home. So how do you even begin to design policies that target Black communities to, to get a leg up? So the the policies that were embedded in you know, from the beginning of the pandemic with enhanced unemployment insurance benefits, I think have been, are very important, uh, you know, for all workers. Uh, and and uh, th- those were continued through the American Rescue Plan. And essentially, especially with the enhanced UI, that's continues through September because we knew that this, you know, we wouldn't just turn back on the economy and workers would suddenly have a lot of job opportunities. The American Rescue Plan that I think are very important, for example, the expansion and extension of the child tax credit which is also now refundable, brings, I think it's $3,000, um, $3,200 for children who are under the age of six, $3,000 for uh, up to age 17. Um, so that's really important, uh, you know, additional resources that go to families that are poor and help them, you know, pay the bills with their children. We've had, um, you know, there's been rental assistance, there's been mortgage forbearance, student loan uh, forbearance, um, we know that just getting to back to where we were in uh, February of 2020 is not enough, right? There were, there were racial inequalities in the employment rate even then. And that historically, that's been the case. And so that is the foundation for the American Jobs Plan and the American Families Plan, which is to say we need to, we need to do better than this. So we know we need to be investing in infrastructure. As we do that, we don't just want it to go to just, you know, the typical communities. We want to make sure that those communities that have historically not been included in federal investments like this are also included. We want to make sure we're investing in our, our children with universal pre-K. Um, we want to make sure we are investing in our college students with historic in investments in HBCUs and minority-serving institutions, um, free community college, because we know that's an entryway to higher education for so many people. So there are many other investments in these programs which are designed to say, we know that even getting back to where we were in February of 2020 is not good enough. We need to be making those investments, which will you know, expand the economy. And we want that to be uh, shared. Yeah. We've seen that when the Biden administration tries to address these historic inequities, for instance, with the Black farmers who have historically been bypassed by the loan programs, they've been met with some backlash. Um, do you expect that kind of uh, pushback f- when you have these programs that look to right some of these historical wrongs with accusations that they favor one group over another? Well, I think that what, you know, I think the response is we understand that if the United States is to truly have the kind of economic growth that we are going to need to have and the kind of innovation that we're going to need to have to continue being um, a, you know, a, the premier economy that to maintain our competitive edge worldwide, we're going to need to tackle things like climate change and other existential threats. And in order to do that, we have to have all hands on deck. And that when we have some people who were under investing in their talents and their, and their potential, we are leaving that potential um, you know, on, the, on the side. We are not growing our economy. We're not making the kinds of innovations that we know we need to be making. So yes, there may be some pushback that this is not, these are not the kinds of investments that the United States has traditionally made. But, you know, we also know that we have not been 
you know, we've been having increasing income inequality, increasing wealth inequality, that our growth rate has slowed. And largely that is due to the fact that we've not been making the kinds of public sector investments that we know are important to fill out what the private sector does. And that ensures that those opportunities are, are shared. Yeah. Well, speaking of those disproportionately affected, you have throughout your career have highlighted how women are affected in economically tough times. And that's complicated, as we know, this year by the shortage of childcare. So how will women, and especially Black women, be made whole coming out of this pandemic? Well, I, will any of us be made whole coming out of this <laughs> pandemic? That's I feel true. like we've had a lost year, especially our children uh, who've been out of school. Um, and and the largely women, uh, you know, caretakers, who maybe had to step back in order to help them even... Uh, even though they really would have be in the workforce, so we that this is the foundation for the American Families Plan is to recognize that we have to help families make those kinds of decisions. This is not about insure, insisting that women join the labor force, as some people have characterized it, but providing the kinds of preschool and child support uh, that families need should they choose for both parents, uh, or if it's a single parent to, who needs to work to have the kind of support he or she needs. Um, and also with within continuing with the expansion of the child tax credit, um, because we know that, again, those kinds of resources are really important. So while I don't believe we can make whole, I do believe that we can recognize that we need to have everybody in the labor force who wants to work uh, because we need their talents. And we need to be supporting families so that children aren't growing up in poverty. We know that children who grow up in poor households you know, that affects their education, that has imp- imp- impacts on their future labor force as well. Yeah, I want to turn a little bit to the personal because, of course, you're the first Black woman to chair the Council of Economic Advisors. And, of course, you were <laughs> sworn in by the first by Vice President Kamala Harris. And how often are you the only woman in the room, the only Black person, the only Black woman? In 2021, have things changed? Well, I can tell you that the White House feels very different than it did even when I was there under President Obama and certainly under President Clinton, who had many talented women, many talented people of color. But this feels even one step further than that. Uh, that said, it does, there are times, I'm an economist, the economics profession is not the most diverse. So there are times when I am uh, the one black in the room or the only woman in the room. Uh, you know, I've grown accustomed to that. But I got to tell you that this economic team and this White House feels very diverse. There's a a number of voices and perspectives that are being brought to the table, and that's very refreshing. And I think that's really important to keeping our eyes on on the many challenges that many different communities have. Uh, And that's the way that we move the ball forward is keeping our eyes on, 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 on every corner of the U.S. Yeah. Now, I have to admit, I saw a picture of you when you were very cute little girl. I think you were four growing up in Washington, D.C., in the nation's capital, Chocolate City at that time. And you and your younger sister were standing in front of a boarded up storefront and the, the wood was painted with the words, soul brothers and sisters work here. Don't put us out of work. And you became an economist. So it was taken after the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was killed and the unrest was tearing through the the, the city and many cities, even my city of right down the road in Baltimore, where I grew up. So how did that moment in time shape you? When I think about that moment in time, I, 
I don't actually remember that being there for that picture. But here is what brought me to that moment were my parents. And my parents who believe strongly in education and who were very, they both grew up during the depression. They grew up under, you know, largely segregated, one in Ohio, one in Indiana. Um, and they believed deeply that it was education that afforded them a better life. Uh, and, but they saw the great injustice of our, of our country. My father was an astrophysicist. My mother was a social worker. And between the two of them, I felt very much that I wanted in my life to address social problems. I appreciated the math that I got from my dad, um, but I also appreciated the attention to social issues, which I got from my mom. So that's why I think that picture really reflects uh, where, how I got to today, because it reflects the values of my parents. I will say as a footnote, my sister who's in that picture is the chair of the anthropology department here at Princeton University. And she also studies issues of, uh, you know, medical anthropology and, and race. And, um, and I think we're both really, it's, it's, we're products of our parents. Yeah. And your parents did a great job and they must be very proud. So did you see a continuum when you saw those streets again filled uh, last year with the Black Lives Matter protests? Absolutely. And my students were so, um, you know, it was, it was such a moment and it was, you know, so emotionally uh, I'm just being taken back, right? What, what, um, you know, what a strong moment. I, for me, what it reflected was we have come a long way and yet we have so much further to go still. And so I, I was able to hold both in my head, which is I would not be where I am today if, except for the strides um, and standing on the shoulders of my parents. But I also recognize that for my daughters, that there's so much more work to be done to, to really have Blacks, Hispanics, have all of us really be part of what is the project of the United States, which is where, which is where we have true equality for all, for all people. Yeah. Do you think that we will reach equity uh, in our lifetimes? Well, I don't know how old you are. But <laughs> um, will we reach equity in our lifetimes? I, you know, I'm not so confident that that will literally happen. I think mm-hmm. we, this is a moment where we will make the next great leap forward. Yeah. Um, so I think we will make, I think this is a moment where we can make tremendous progress. That's part of the reason I joined the Biden administration when I was asked. Um, I saw that I was honored to participate in this project. I saw this as a president who truly had the values to try to make this happen. He was surrounded by a team who really wanted to make this happen, to to make the kinds of investments in our lower income communities, to truly keep our eye on the ways in which racism has persisted, especially for African-Americans or Native Americans. My goodness. Um, And so that is why I came. And that's why I'm honored to serve, because I believe this administration truly wants to make great strides. Will we get over the finish line? I'm more humble than that, but I will take even just great progress as I will be honored to have been part of a team that even just makes good, pro- makes good progress. Well, I appreciate you spending this time with us. We finally got to connect, and I hope we can continue the conversation because it does seem like we're still in the middle of this economic uh, revival, and there'll be a lot of uh, programs, issues, and other things that will come up that you'll want to tell the listeners of equal time about. I would be delighted to come back.
You're very welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. So what's keeping me up at night? American history. It seems a movement in states across the country just fine with teaching about America's founding documents, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution. But many want the teaching to stop right there, leaving out how, when, and why the country failed to live up to the lofty principles in those documents until pushed. Those who failed to learn from history are condemned to repeat it, the saying goes. That's why we're here yet again. It's something I'm writing about in my roll call column this week. Check it out. And let me know what's on your mind by tweeting me at mcurtisnc3. Thank you for listening to Equal Time. Please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.